Hello and welcome to the Wealth of Knowledge podcast. I'm your host, Antonio Barbera, and today we're talking about a topic that I think interests so many in the financial advice space, how to find a good real estate agent. And to help discuss this topic, I'm joined this week by our U.S. News real estate editor, Devin Thorsby. Devin takes her experience from having worked on the research side of the real estate industry and helps consumers navigate just about anything having to do with their home, from the home buying process or working through a landlord-tenant dispute to prepping for their first DIY home improvement project. Thanks for coming on, Devin. Great to be here. And our guest this week is someone I am so excited to have on the show to offer us his expertise. Ryan Surhant is a real estate broker and star of two shows on Bravo, Million Dollar Listing New York and Sell It Like Surhant. Ryan led his New York City real estate team to more than $800 million in sales in 2017, and he's the author of a new book called Sell It Like Surhant, which is out now. Ryan, thank you so much for being here for our first real estate episode of Wealth of Knowledge. Thank you for having me. So your story is pretty well known by now, Ryan. You moved to New York after college to pursue an acting career. You then got your New York City real estate license in 2008, just as the economy and the housing market were collapsing, and quickly built up a real estate empire. But you started your real estate career fairly humbly. Uh, In your book, you write about how you found your first clients cold calling, basically, looking people up on Craigslist, introducing yourself to people at Starbucks. Where do you recommend people find an agent today? Today, there's a lot more places to find real estate agents than than there used to. You used to just find real estate agents by either going into your local real estate office or meeting an agent at an open house or a listing for a home that was similar to something that you wanted personally. Now, there's so many lead gen uh, websites out there, the Zillows, if you're in New York City, the Street Easy's, um, that have kind of find an agent tools. Uh, that can work for you really well. But I think that if you are going to work with a real estate agent, which I believe everybody should, um, you should find one that already represents or is very knowledgeable on what you want. If you are in New York, let's say, and you want to find a home in Chelsea, I wouldn't use a real estate agent who really only knows and lives in uh, you know, a part of Brooklyn because they're not going to be able to walk you through what's on each block of Chelsea, talk to you about each building and have the knowledge to guide you in your purchase. So I would find an agent who has a listing or who you know who has done a number of transactions and who's knowledgeable on the market that you are the most interested in and work with them that way. That's great. And then when in the house hunting stage should a person start looking for an agent? Should they already have their finances in order? kind of be completely unfamiliar with the situation? Um, I guess at what point should they begin? Everybody's a little bit different. I have clients that come to me when they've found their home already and they're ready to go and they just want me to negotiate the deal because they don't like negotiating or confrontation and that's what they want to use me for. I have other clients who come to me five years before they're ready to actually find a home but they just want to start thinking. Um, I think there's a happy medium between the two. I like meeting clients when they've kind of made the decision that they're ready to purchase, either the first, second, third, tenth home, what have you. And they want to have that sit down conversation about next steps. So they may have talked to their banker about what they can afford, they may not have, um, but they've at least thought seriously about making that move um, so that when they sit with me, it's forward momentum uh, and you know, relatively quickly so that I can walk them through the process of purchasing. 
so that it's a process of elimination and not a process of shopping for years and years and years and walk them through the financing process because a lot of people don't know they go into their the bank they you know they get cash out and they think that that's the place that they can get their loans and that's not the only place you can get loans and that probably isn't the best place for you to get the best rate and they haven't talked to a real estate attorney they haven't looked at all of the risks and they don't maybe necessarily know where exactly they want to live so all of that can be handled with your real estate agent as early as possible now from an agent perspective in your book you talk about uh, some attributes that are extremely important uh, and I'm gonna list a few of them you say you need to be relentless have empathy, be patient, you need to listen, bring value, and have respect. I, I think those are, one is better than the next, but from a client's side when looking for an agent, what else, is there anything else that they should be looking for? I mean, I think the most important thing you're gonna want from someone is their ability to work hard for you, and not just for themselves. You want someone that is very responsive. You want somebody that is going to answer your emails and answer your calls. You don't want to be in the middle of a transaction on what is a really large, important purchase for you, and you can't get in touch with your real estate agent. That's that is a that's, that's a that's a first strike rule for me and any agent that I work with on my team. We are always available to all of our clients, and that's just part of the job. And if you're a real estate agent and you don't like that, then you shouldn't do this, and you should get another job. Um, and I think that you know when you're thinking about using a real estate agent, you want that person in it with you. They're next to you, they're side by side. It's a big, scary purchase for a lot of people, and it's a really big investment. And they should be incredibly responsive, um, and they should be knowledgeable, right? They should be knowledgeable. Otherwise, there's so much information online, you don't need to work with someone who doesn't know what they're doing, because that sometimes can put you into more, more harm than good. Now, sort of to that point, should an interested buyer or seller interview an agent? I mean, if so, are there any, like a certain list of questions that they should ask in terms of understanding the agent's expertise and as well as understanding if the two of them are going to be a good fit for each other? Well, the whole world is different in how they, they work with real estate agents. You know, in New York, the way we work with real estate agents on the buy and sell side is very different from the way they do it in Texas, in Colorado. Um, uh, I think it's kind of unanimous that selling a home, you will interview multiple agents. Unless you know one already or you have a good relationship or you're going to hire the same agent who sold you the house in the first place. And when you're interviewing that agent, you want to see how they're planning to market it. You want to see what they think the price is and how the market supports that. You want to see how often they think they're going to show it. You know, is it just going to be them or is it going to be someone on their team or is it going to be two people? You know, you want to ask them when they think you should go to market. You want to ask them what you need to do to the home to make it more marketable. You have to remember, too, that these real estate agents in front of you do this all day, every day. So while you think that your Star Wars-themed bathrooms are really awesome, they might not be, and they might actually hurt your sale. And you need to listen to the advice that your real estate agent gives you. On the buy side, I've never really been interviewed um, as an agent on the buy side, because it's all about creating that relationship. Buyers can use whatever agents they want. I and mean, a lot of times buyers change agents throughout their process. They work with one agent on a couple sale, on a couple showings, they work with another agent when they go somewhere else. You know, I like clients to be loyal, which is why I try to meet them early on and explain the process, make this something we do together. But when you're talking to agents on the buy side, you just want someone who's knowledgeable, who's going to be there step by step and actually respond to all of your outreach. 
That's great. Uh, Devin, have, have you seen anything from either sources that you've interviewed or, or people that you've worked with on the real estate side for this yeah. sort of question? Yeah, uh, especially for those people that are maybe kind of getting into home buying or even if it's renting and they, they want to use an agent for the first time. I think uh, the really important thing, whether it's you choose to try to do an interview uh, as a buyer or a renter, or you're really just having that initial email conversation, something like that, or a first meeting, wanting to kind of figure out how much they do know about uh, the the area that you're looking in and how kind of willing they are to share that information as well. I think the education process, especially for people who are inexperienced in real estate, uh, is really important to be able to kind of have that conversation and be told why they can't afford in a certain neighborhood um, when they thought maybe that they could before. It, it helps to make it feel more like a collaboration rather than just being told where you can or cannot buy a house. So That's great. Uh, Ryan, you have a slogan in your book, Sell It Like Sirhant. People don't like being sold, but they love shopping with friends. I love that as a way to frame a client-agent relationship. But what about the situation when an interested home buyer actually has a friend or relative that is an agent? Should they avoid using that person as an agent? What are the pros and cons of using Aunt Susan to help you buy your first home? Aunt Susan. <laughs> I, I think if you are friends with a real estate agent, you should absolutely use them. If, if they know what they're doing, if they have done the type of transaction that you're looking to do before. Um, I think it only hurts you when you use a friend who just got into the business and has no idea what they're doing. And you know going into it that you're only using them because they're your friends, right? You don't want to cut your nose off to spite your face, right? And a lot of people will do that. Uh, and then they get themselves in trouble. They're not advised correctly. They, they, you know, they can create an upsetting situation. Um, but listen, for me, you know, and the reason I say that, that people don't like being sold, but they love shopping with friends, is that the biggest mistake most salespeople make, most real estate agents make, is they try to sell all the time. And a watched pot never boils. So if you put your salesperson's hat on and you try to sell, 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 no one, no one likes to be sold. No one wants to be with a, a chatty real estate agent that doesn't care about them and just cares about you buying, buying, buying. But people love to go shopping online, in person. People love seeing open houses. So if you focus more on the relationship and you create a friendship with a client in front of you, then they're going to love buying through you versus buying with someone who only cares about buying, buying, buying. And then, Ryan, in your book, you also discuss uh, the follow-up, follow-back, follow-through as key tenants to success for a broker. Um, and then... Yeah. It, seems, it sounds like in your book you have a lot of great relationships that you've been able to forge that turn into not just a client-broker relationship, but a friendship where you guys are able to text and, and get lunch about something that's not necessarily just home buying and things like that. Uh, and I'm curious as to kind of what you recommend to develop that client-broker relationship into a friendship. I, I do know I have one person who bought a house and then uh, with their agent, two years later, the guy calls and he's like, I want to bring a pie over on Thanksgiving. And they're just like, please don't. <laughs> We're not looking to sell. <laughs> we don't want your pie. Thank you. Um, so I guess kind of yeah. where, how do you forge that friendship so that it, it does feel genuine and isn't creepy in any way? Sure. It's two ways, right? And it's two kind of things you have to think about. One is you have to have something in common and it can't just be what you're dealing with with regards to real estate, right? 
you're not going to be friends with the guy at the gas station just because you need gas and he pumps it. You know, you have to have something in common. Either you both work out at the same gym or you both like to jog or you both like a sports team or you're both from the same town originally or your kids are both in the same class. You got to find something that you have in common. It can be super vague. It can be super specific, but that's where any good friendship starts, starts from something in common. Um, and then from there, it's honestly just effort. Most people just don't put in the effort. They just want to get a deal done as a real estate agent, and that's it. They don't care about the relationship or the dividends that it could pay down the line. They'd rather complain that the client never called them back than actually put in the effort to be that person's friend. You know, And you do that by going to drink, going to dinner, having a breakfast, talking on the phone, sending a text message about the weather, you know, things that you do with friends that you might not think to do with clients, but you should because they're human beings too. That's it. And so now as we talk about finding that first agent or maybe deciding to continue with an agent you've already used, as a buyer or seller, uh, do I want an agent who's too busy or not busy enough? I mean, the former is clearly doing something right, but they may not give me the, you know, the time of day when I need it. Uh, while the latter is going to be more accommodating, but there's probably a reason they don't have any clients. Uh, so is there any sort of wisdom on that, on which, which is the better direction to go in for a, for a buyer or seller? Uh, you always want someone who's busy. You want someone who's busy because other people have entrusted them with work. If you go with someone who has all the time in the world just for you, that's because other people have not entrusted them with work. And if you want to get something done, hire someone who's busy. And if they're a good person and they're good at their business, they will make time for you. Are they going to pick up the phone if you call them 15 times a day? No, but don't call them 15 times a day, you, you cuckoo bird. Um, you know, you have to respect busy people's time as well, and they will respect yours. And I think that's a pretty easy answer. All right. So now let's pretend a client has an agent. They've seen some properties. Nothing has gone well, uh, and there's definitely a poor relationship with the agent. They're looking to get out of it. It's not you, it's me. How do you break up with your agent when things just aren't going well? Uh, I mean, listen, most people in New York, anyway, will just stop responding to the agent's follow-up, and they'll go and meet another agent. But we, we are not going to foster like. that sort of <laughs> attitude on this show. So Yeah, <laughs> yeah. no problem. I'm just saying what the... the what I've lived through, you know, my horror stories. And I, I don't appreciate that either when someone just stops responding. Um, I, it's a tough question to answer, but if you really are having a bad relationship with your real estate agents, the simplest thing um, is to either put it into an email or talk on the phone and just say that, you know, I think we're super not as alike as I thought we were. I don't think that uh, what we want is aligned and we've decided to go in a different direction. And that's it. That's it. Super simple. Um, and the other side, like any breakup, is always going to kick and scream and be upset because it's lost business. But if they're adults, they will move on and they will get over it. The world is a big place and life is short. And vice versa then. How does the agent break up with the client? I know from your book, it sounds like you're kind of a chameleon. You're willing to bend over backwards, do lots of different things, communicate in different ways uh, to make it work with a client. But I imagine at least once or twice you've had to uh, cut things off with a client when it's not working out. I've only ever had to do that when somebody is mean. Okay. You know, if, if someone's just difficult, 
then it's, it's not always necessarily their fault. And I can pretty much handle anybody. But if someone's mean, if they're rude, if they're mean to my team or to my staff, then, then I have no time for that, right? I don't, I don't need to sell you a home. I don't need to sell your home. I, I, I will live mm-hmm. without you and your negative energy in my life. Um, and in those instances, I've just told people that I, I don't think that um, I don't think that I have the ability to sell your home. I think that your home is, you know, is just going to be too tough for me to sell, and you'll probably be best off with another agent who can give you more time. And I need it simple. Now, uh, can we go over briefly the differences between using an agent to buy versus using an agent to rent? Uh, I when should renters consider using an agent? I assume this is maybe market specific. Yeah, I think it is market specific. New York City is a heavy renters market. There, you know, 70% of the residential buildings in New York City are rental buildings. So there's a lot of rental brokers. You know, the majority of real estate agents in New York City are are rental agents, and we all do them. Even you know, I do majority sales, but we still do rentals. Um, just like a sale, right? The rental process, especially if you're new to a city or a town, it can be just as confusing as buying. And it's still, it's still money. And it's still sometimes a lot of money. There's the first month's rent, the last month's rent, the one month deposit, the two months, the credit check, the guarantor. There's a lot of different things. They want employment reference letters. They want personal reference letters. They want to meet your dog. You know, all these things. And uh, listen, unless you've done it before, my advice is to always use a professional, right? You, would, you wouldn't, just because it seems simpler, like staple your hand together because it got cut open, you'd still go to the hospital, you'd find a doctor who can do it you know, in a nice, clean way where your hand's not gonna fall off. Um, it's the same thing. So now, uh, talking about working with a professional, when we're looking at the young, hungry broker versus the one that has significant experience, which category of buyer should turn to which agent? Someone looking to buy an investment property, should they stick with the experienced agent who knows, you know, who's done this before, for example? Should someone who doesn't know what they want yet pick the young, hungry agent who will show them dozens of places and, you know, won't have any problem with that whatsoever? Does, do any categories ever match up? Uh, not really. It comes down to personal preference, right? And it comes down to, to personal relationships. If you meet the experienced agent and you meet the young hungry agent and you get along more with the young hungry agent, then you should work with them. You know, the experienced agents will do a good job. Will they do a better job? I don't know, um, especially if you're looking to buy. Um, will they treat you better? Uh, I don't know. Uh, will they know more people, know more product? Probably. But is the young hungry agent going to get the job done to a point where you're satisfied? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And that was my, that was my pitch for, for seven years, you know, and I've only been doing this for 10 years. Even now, I'm 34 years old. All the top agents that I compete with are a minimum of 10 years older than me. So I'm still the kid when I run around New York City. Um, and I still am the young, hungry, crazy kid, you know, trying to do this business. I just happen to also have experience and know what I'm doing. Great. When uh, a person's uh, moving, especially when they're moving maybe into New York City for the first time, whether it's for work or personal reasons, uh, how does how do they go about the home buying process differently? Uh, does it change when uh, they have certain work requirements or if they're moving uh, because they like the city more? Um, and I guess, does that change the way they should look for an agent? 
I think you have to check and see if you have any kind of corporate relocation package. Mm -hmm. right? A lot of times if you're moving for work, a company will try to help you or they'll refer an agent to you. A lot of business that we do um, is referred to us by HR representatives from various companies all over the world because they know that they have a client uh, or a, you know they have an employee who's being relocated or who's moving to New York and they're going to need a home, so they set them up with my team. That's a big, that's a big part of our business. Um, but I think that if you're just moving for work, you know, I, I always hesitate in trying to tell people to buy first. You know, I am a broker, so I think people should buy and that's, that's how I make my living. But at the same time, if you're being transferred or it's a new job, what happens if you don't like it after a year? What if you don't like the city and you've never been there? You know, maybe you should rent for the first year and get to know the area, get to know the block, get to know the schools, get to know your neighbors. Um, and kind of like try before you buy. And I'm curious, with New York in particular, since it is such a big city, the boroughs are so different, uh, do you find that people who have been lifelong New Yorkers still need kind of an education process if they're looking to move somewhere else in the city? Yes, <laughs> yes, um, uh, a lot of times. And because New Yorkers who've been here for a long time, they feel like they know everything. They know everything. They know everything that's sold, but they don't know what's actually happening in the market today. And they oftentimes don't know what's coming. So I have to tell them what's happening right now, and I have to tell them what's happening in the future, because if you're buying a home or selling a home, that's what you have to be prepared for, not just what happened with Jimmy's house on the corner two years ago. And so now turning to sort of how people are buying and selling homes. What are your thoughts on the rapid expansion of these home buying sites like Zillow, Redfin, and even uh, I call them mortgage simplifiers like Rocket Mortgage? Uh, do you think they've helped or hurt the marketplace? And uh, I mean, the same question is would be posed to clients and agents. Have they helped one group or hurt another group in particular? I think since 2008, we've been in a pretty strong bull market, both in the equity markets and in the real estate markets. We watched everything crash and burn in 08 and 09. And then right after that, people kind of forgot and everything went back up to higher than it ever was before. Um, and when that happens, right, in good markets, everyone thinks they can do everything. So in good markets, new companies pop up left and right all the time because people are saying, oh, I can do this better than this guy. I'm going to go do this because the market's great. So all these companies that pop up right now, all these tech companies, these websites, all these places, that are doing exactly what hardworking agents do, I think always have a hard time when the market shifts. In a down market, and that's what we've seen in New York in the last two years. That's why none of these other websites and discount brokerages have been able to infiltrate the city because the market's just so hard and you need personal attention. You know, in a good market, you can call your agent who you know is your neighborhood specialist and you're only paying a 1% brokerage fee and you know, they'll show between nine and five, but they don't show on the weekends and what, what have you. And that's fine. In a down market, and you're trying to get a hold of a broker who turns their phone off at five o'clock um, and isn't incentivized to sell your home at all because you're just paying a flat fee, but your home isn't selling. And what do you do? And this is a big asset for you and you're stressed because you're carrying two mortgages. That's when those companies are going to have a really, really hard time. And people are going to go back to using quality real estate agents who are smart, intelligent, and also incentivized to protect your best interests. 
So speaking about those agents, and you've touched on this a little bit already, but are certain agents specialists in just buying or just selling? And is it ever worth looking for a specialist depending on a certain client's needs? I think some real estate agents in some markets say they just do buy or they just do sell side transactions. That's never really made sense to me, but that might only be because I'm a New York City real estate agent where the best brokers, they'll represent you on the sell, the buy, the rental. We're client focused, right? We're relationship focused. But I know that like in London, you know, for instance, you have uh, most of the estate agents there are just on the sell side, but you do have some buyer's representatives and that's all they do. They just work with buyers. And in that market, if you want a real estate agent, you wouldn't go to a, an estate agent who just works on the list side. You would go to someone who is a purely buyer specialist, but that's market specific. So now most of your chapters in Sell It Like Sirhant begin with fun anecdotes from your decorated history. Uh, selling properties. So using that template, can we go, decorated. yeah, decorated history, I thought was a, a good way to phrase that. Using that template, uh, can we go through sort of a speed round of maybe fun anecdotes from your sales? If we if we run through a couple of uh, questions, can you give quick responses? I will do my best. All right. So we're not going to ask you to name anyone. Obviously, we wouldn't do that. But can you describe your worst client? My worst client? Uh, I think my worst client is probably also my best client in that uh, it was a deal that I did you know, years ago at the beginning of my career. I talk about him in the book, I call him Mr. X. Mm-hmm. And it took me a year to close the first deal because he just wouldn't respond to me. You know, We wanted to find a property, we found it, didn't pick up the phone or answer an email for a month. Then he responded. Then he went to contract but never sent a deposit for six months. Everyone's angry, everyone's upset. What's going on? Is this a scam? I don't even know what's happening. And then all of a sudden the deposit shows up. And then he doesn't close for another six months. And that's just the way that that guy does business and is by far the worst client for my health um, that I've ever worked with. But he eventually closed and sold him other things and it turned out okay. So then the polar opposite of that, what was your quickest sale? My quickest sale ever was probably, honestly, still to this day, one of my first sales. I got a a random email from a girl who is graduating uh, medical school in Michigan, and her parents are flying in from Asia, and uh, she she had a job in New York, and she was coming to New York to find an apartment. And they were coming in on a Monday, and she wanted to close by Friday. And that's really hard to do, whether you have a loan or don't have a loan, you know, you're buying a condo in New York City, there's a board, you know, board package, you have to clear title, you have to get through everyone's schedules. But she came in on Monday, I showed her 10 different apartments that were good, we narrowed it down to three, saw the other three, again, Tuesday morning, she picked the one she wants, we had an accepted offer by end of the day Tuesday, contracts out, they signed Wednesday morning, deposit money was wired, they set it up, they closed Friday afternoon, parents got on a plane and flew back to Asia and it was a million fifty. My first million-dollar deal, and it happened in the span of a week. It's completely insane. Wow. Wow. Uh, the next one here: strangest property sold, and I'm going to say that I hope that it's the haunted brownstone you briefly mentioned in your book. Oh no, that's definitely not the strangest property <laughs> I sold. I mean, that was that was that was creepy. Um, uh, you know, I've sold a lot of weird things. Actually, on Million Dollar Listing season two, um, there was a property I sold on 62nd Street that 
was is a co-op building, so kind of post-war, post-war, you know, brick building. Nothing too crazy about it. And this was four apartments that were combined, and all of the finishes were taken from a Gothic church in Spain. So you walked in, and everything was brown wood, red. There were pews. There were confessionals, um, and then there were hooks everywhere for sex swings. And it was a swingers apartment that had a very interesting religious vibe. That, on the Upper West Side, which is predominantly Jewish, was by far the strangest, most difficult sale I've ever had. And is that, I'm curious, this takes it out of the speed round, but I'm curious, did you have to redo things or stage anything to be able to sell it? Every wall that wasn't covered in uh, wood paneling, we painted white. Okay. So we tried to make it as neutral as possible. And we sold it as a renovation project, to be honest. We, it was a very, very specific apartment, but they'd done the renovation a little while ago. And to anyone who was buying it, we just, we showed it for the space. And people thought it was funky and quirky, but we showed it for the space. We showed it, you know, for the bones and the person who ended up buying it, um, tore the whole thing out and built out a, you know, a classic modern new apartment. And then what are the biggest challenges you face today? The biggest challenges I face today are the unknown, to be honest. It's everybody wants to know what's going to happen in the market tomorrow. Everyone wants to know what's going to happen in the next election year of 2020. People don't want to make decisions. People are nervous about the future. People think that we've been in a rising market for too long. Shouldn't we have had another recession by now? Everyone's so nervous. Everyone's so worried. Everyone's so concerned about the future that it causes inaction. And when you're that concerned with the future, obviously nothing good is going to happen because you wake up afraid every day. And that's a lot of the country right now. And so that is my biggest hurdle is, is keeping people optimistic and positive that we live in an amazing country that, you know, we have the freedom of title. Like never before has the United States just taken your house because they decided to on a Tuesday. You buy homes in other countries and that, that can happen to you. Like that's a crazy thing that people don't focus on enough in, in the United States. Like you have freedom of ownership here, which is insane. You can own land and as long as you pay your bills, if you have a loan, you pay off your loan, and you're a good person, you will keep that forever and pass it down to children and no one will take it from you. You know, that's, that's an amazing thing that people forget a lot. All right, and last question here in this speed round. Uh, what's one thing a client can do to make your life easier? This is a great opportunity for you here, Ryan. <laughs> oh, man, just <laughs> listen to me. Listen to me. Use your ears and listen to the words that are coming out of my mouth. That is the number one thing that I ask of all clients. You've hired me. I'm a professional. I do this all day, every day for the last 10 years. I, I know what's best for you before you know what's best for you. Just listen, just listen. A lot of people don't like to listen. They ask questions, but they're gonna do their own thing anyway, and they're gonna make their own decisions. Just listen to me and take my advice. I will not steer you wrong. And I think if more people did that with more real estate agents, we'd probably be in an even better market. All right, to all you listeners, listen to Ryan. He's trying to help you. Uh, what are your next, uh, yeah. your next steps for the coming year, Ryan? Uh, we start shooting Million Dollar Listing New York season eight. Can't believe we've been doing it for eight years already um, in the next couple of weeks. So that's on the horizon. Um, you know, I'm, I'm going around the country talking about the book as much as I can just because I love 
helping salespeople, not just real estate agents, but all salespeople. That's who I, I wrote the book for. Um, and my wife and I are, you know, in the middle of a couple renovations and growing a family. And so things are good. Things, things look positive and awesome in the future. Ryan, I want to thank you for your time today. I appreciate all your insight. Congratulations on your success and, uh, you know, good luck to you moving forward. Thanks, guys. Thank you. And Devin, thanks to you as well for co-hosting with me this week. Uh, We'll see you soon in our next real estate episode. Thanks for having me. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Uh, Look out for more information on our next episodes and go to realestate.usnews.com to read all of our research and advice on buying and selling a home, mortgages and financing, as well as our 2018 Best Places to Live rankings. Finally, please like, comment, and subscribe to our podcast so that we can help more and more people make smarter decisions with their finances. I'm Antonio Barbera. Thanks for listening to Wealth of Knowledge. See you next week.